Welcome to Hashtag No Filter with me, Stephanie and A, a podcast which provides career advice from industry experts. Every episode, you'll hear how each trailblazing guest built success and what they do to bring a sense of wellness into their world. You're listening to real people with real stories, with real success, and who need no filter. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Hashtag No Filter. Today on the show, I'm joined by Dr. Olivier Amar, one of the UK's leading consultant plastic reconstructive and aesthetic surgeons. During the episode, Olivier and I talk about his surgical practice and his contributions to groundbreaking non-surgical treatments how he built a successful business and became known as the master of refinement, and how aesthetic procedures can help to improve a person's well-being. Olivier also talks about the challenges that can occur in a high-pressured career and shares what he does to keep a healthy work-life balance. No filter. Welcome to Hashtag No Filter, Olivier. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here, honestly, so excited. So for our listeners who aren't really quite familiar with your practice, can you tell us a bit about your practice and what you specialise in? So I'm a plastic and reconstructive surgeon. I'm doing uh, cosmetic treatment, surgical and non-surgical, around the face and the body for body contouring and uh, facial enhancements. And I'll try to make that as natural as possible. Why did you choose to have a career in cosmetic surgery? I'm not sure. Maybe the career chose me. I mean, like, uh, mm-hmm. I'm born in the family of doctor, and my my father is a plastic surgeon. They never pushed me to to become a surgeon, or they were saying, "Oh, there's a lot of work." But I, I think I just loved it. Seeing my see my parents working a lot, but working with uh, with with human also is great. Uh, be able to uh, shape curves, sculpt faces. Uh, that's a great chance, so uh, I'm very happy. So you were just talking about like shaping and sculpting. Is that how you earned your title of the Master of Refinement? I'm not sure where where that come from, but uh, yes, I mean like maybe being a technician with an artistic eyes can help you. I think like techniques is one thing. You need to master the technique before you you become artistic. But I think if 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 this I probably have a bit of artistic eyes, uh, definitely. Do you think you need to be artistic to master the technique? No, no, no. You need to be a very, very excellent uh, technician. And you can leave a bit of your artistic uh, vision on top. Uh, I think uh, because surgery is serious, you need to deliver. You need to do that in a safe environment and in a safe way. So... I think to be too artistic is probably not good, but be a very good technician with an artistic eyes is probably a good thing. Do you think that you learned that from your father, like growing up in that environment? Or is that something that you learned along your career? I think both. I think definitely uh, if your mother is a pianist, you might you might play piano earlier, you might have might develop some, some senses. So I think like looking at my dad works, uh, speaking a lot with them. It's probably uh, stimulate me in, yeah. in, in this way. Like yeah. Talking to people. Yes, and, yes, and, definitely. And, um, I think the environment. And after, you know, when you start practicing on, uh, on your own, um, you develop other other senses. So it's a combination. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So when I 
you are having an initial consultation with your patients, how do you ensure that you understand and subsequently handle your patients' expectations? By listening to them first. Consultation lasts sometimes up to an hour because I don't think you can uh, just get through everything in 15 minutes consultation. So it's more understanding who they are, understanding also their medical background. And after there is a difficult time, sometimes is looking at the mirror. So we look at the mirror together and we try to see, uh, sometimes it's cruel to look at the mirror, but we would like to see where we are, specifically when everyone is using filter now. And uh, so we try to have like an assessment of where we are. And, uh, and from there, I'll try to, uh, to see if I can reach their expectation or sometimes I have to manage their expectation. And we, uh, by the end of the, the full hour of consultation, we should go to a place where we have together come to, uh, to, to a decision. Yeah. I would invite them anyway to come back for a second consultation after at least a few, few days of up to two weeks of reflection and we can rediscuss everything before we, we do surgery. I like how you just said, like reaching their expectations and handling them to, because for me, it sounds like there would be a very fine line in that. Okay. It sounds to me like you would really need to be an expert and, and knowing when you're reaching them and when you're handling them. You see, again, cosmetic surgery, stay at surgery. So we have a responsibility to bring the patient under sedation, even if it's local. So uh, this is like, for us, it's, and for me, it's very important that I have understood what they want and we have an agreement of what the surgery can uh, can deliver. And you, you also mentioned about people bringing in photos with filters on. Do you see a lot of that? Well, I mean, it's more when you ask uh, patients sometimes, uh, show me a, a photo of you when, when you like yourself, right? And sometimes they show you pictures where they have a tan or they wear glasses if there's the faces, yeah. Or it's not really with... Uh, um, True reflection of themselves. No, no, no. We, I think maybe we all have a better version of ourselves. Like, and we like to see in the mirror. And we say to ourselves, well, maybe because I didn't sleep enough or because maybe I didn't exercise recently. We tried us you know just to feel better i think during the consultation we definitely look at reality and see uh, what can be done it sounds like you're having a consultation about their body and mind really well I mean, they, they're well connected right yeah. so uh, surgery can't give you happiness it's not the pills right it's not a but when you do surgery what i aim for is to try to support and help this self-confidence you may have lost you know, due to the aging process, due to weight loss, due to gain loss. Or, yeah, I guess it could be a number of different yeah. why people have surgery. So can you tell us a bit about uh, your inventions that you have created? I know that you are the, the creator of Express PRP and a more recent treatment, uh, how do you say it, Evans? I'm not a creator of the of the PRP, right? So um, the, the way the way I perform PRP is, it might be slightly different than uh, than other. So the thing is, PRP what it means is plate rich plasma. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that we are looking at some uh, growth factor who help uh, the cell division. So it's kind of like a booster for your cells. 
and we have that inside the plasma. Where is the plasma? Is inside the blood. So uh -huh. we have the red cells, the white cells. We have the plasma. So we extract. We draw in a little bit of blood from you, five, ten, twenty cc, depend. We put it in the centrifuge, and we get after a few minutes uh, different faces. You have something a bit yellowish called the plasma, and inside you have the platelet, and these platelets are rich of growth factor. So basically, what we try to to do is to get this platelet out of your blood and re-inject them uh, to boost your skin, to support the healing as well. If you do energy devices treatment, lasered, vital frequency, wherever you want to support the healing process, we try to bring some uh, some of this uh, growth factor. So. The PRP Express, as you mentioned, is, is a way of extracting a bit of the blood, spinning this blood, and re-injecting with a specific cannula, so you don't have this hundred of puncture, uh, and you don't look like a pincushion, and uh, this two, three, four, very tiny, tiny puncture where I use a very thin cannula just to to uh, nourish your skin from uh. So how did you come to discover there was a need for this different kind of... Okay. It's derivative from what we do in surgery, really. So, uh, again, there's a different way of treating skin. There's a different approach. Sometimes I can use the needle. I just say that I don't, but I, sometimes I might use it, depending if I'm treating, like, a, a scars or not. Or, But if it's only for cosmetic purposes, to give you a boost, and it's uh, it becomes very, very popular because it gives you the glow, like a lot of uh, patients are looking for. Um, it's a great treatment, it's an in and out treatment. It's uh, 20 minutes with us, give you a glow for a few weeks. You can have like a course of two or three. That's great and it helps a lot. And it's natural because more and more patients are looking for a natural treatment. You have mentioned Uvents. I'm the chief medical officer of Uvents, so Uvents is not me, uh, but I'm part of it. Uh, Uvents is a, it's an, it's a breakthrough in the industry, really. Uh, it's again bringing a surgery in a box. What does that mean? We have fantastic cells uh, inside our fat, and uh, I know that we all fight or this fat with dieting, with exercise. But we have fantastic cells who have like an enormous regenerative potential. And some of these cells are what we call adipose-derived mesenchymal stem cells. So let's be simple. They have like stem cells capabilities, meaning like they can differentiate. In one word, they can help you to look better. So, and they can rejuvenate your skin like no other treatment can do. So it's like bringing life cells bringing even some soldiers to the forefront of the battlefields against the the aging process and uh, so it complement well the prp because prp might be the bullet uh you know you this uh fighters needs but you bring your new cells so events is like i think a revolution in the industry because you will have centers where a patient can go get some cells extracted will be send it to your lab. The lab will prepare the tissue, will extract the cells and will reload the, sy the syringes with a quality control and standardization. So means like you will receive your own personal filler. See, I don't want to be too technical, but uh, literally you go to a center during your lunch break, you have like a micro collection through a micro liposuction. So we need few cc, few ml, few milliliter of your fat and you can go back to your normal activity. What happened is like, 
in this kind of like specific box, this uh, a special courier, your cells will be sent to the lab. Uh, some tests are going to be run to see if there's no germs or no contamination, and they'll be cryopreserved. And maybe when you need it in two months, three months, six months' time, up to five years, you can have it. And when you have your injection, you can have by any doctors. So you like your dermatologists, you are your cosmetic doctors uh, to do it, they will be able to receive it. So it's, it's giving access to natural and regenerative medicine to everyone. So, yeah, that's, uh, so how does a plastic surgeon or cosmetic surgeon get involved in other projects like that? How, how, does, how does someone become a chief medical officer? Like seeing the need, right? So... Um, I remember I discussed with the CEO of the event a few years ago, and he was at the time in in the filler industry. And what's filler are more synthetic, right? Because the hyaluronic acid that you use on most filler is produced by a manufacturer, right? It's not something it looks might look natural if you inject it well, but uh, this is it's not really natural. Yeah, exactly. This isn't live cells, so. He said to me, Reese Tomlinson said to me, uh, how do you see the future? I said, well, I mean, I will dream that someday what we do in surgery can arrive in a box. So I don't have to do uh, all this process and it will be standardized and done in a laboratory with all the quality standards uh, needed. And, and for me, I can do the injection on the day, a few minutes, patient can go back to their activity. I've received their own cells. And if they want to have another injection in six months' time, we can have it. And he said to me, let's do it. And we work hard for like six years and uh, we find uh, great people along the way. And uh, we have a fantastic chairman, Chris Donegan. And uh, we have to find investors. We have to find, you know, I didn't know what it just, you know, the adventure will be. We just started by, by a dream, like just getting this cells in the box and be able to open a box like you open any type of box of uh, of a filler today and say this is your cells that i'm injecting you so uh, that's how everything started it so, sounds like a, a real project to develop through time how long does it, how long does a project take like that to develop everything you touch like medicine and patient and patient safety and takes time so uh can't happen overnight. So in our case, as I said, it's almost seven years that we started the project. So uh, between the time you think about, uh, you know, having this great idea and you can have an actual box delivered and do some real patient, it takes a while. In a medical kind of a frame time, look at before COVID, like for vaccine, it was like five to 10 years. So now everything has changed, but, uh, when you want to develop uh, some medication, it takes more than five years. So yeah. this is roughly uh, the time it takes. That's really interesting. So what advice would you give to somebody who is thinking about becoming a cosmetic surgeon? Okay, before you become a cosmetic surgeon, there's kind of a long study. Depending where you train, uh, you probably have to do uh, a lot of things who are not cosmetic to you. You have to do hand surgery, burns, breast reconstruction, sometimes orthopedics, sometimes visceral surgery, sometimes pediatrics, and none of them are 
cosmetic. So I think like maybe spending, you know, visiting some surgeon and asking questions, maybe looking at their life. But after it's a, it's a fantastic job and you see a patient every day, you can, you can work on a human body and uh, you don't feel like working because it's like your passion. Uh, it's fine. So why, why is it that you have to go through those procedures that aren't so cosmetic? Well, I mean, because cosmetics comes, you know, before you think about doing a facelift, you need to know the anatomy, you need to, and when you do breast, patient uh, surgeon perform breast reconstruction, and so cosmetic is like the latest things you do uh, in the training of a plastic surgeon. Before that, you have to master most of the different specialties before you go to the to the cosmetic. It's probably why it's like safest to see a plastic surgeon for advice before you do a treatment. So there's a difference between cosmetic and plastic surgery. Plastic can be uh, reconstructive. Technically the specialties is plastic reconstructive and aesthetic surgery. So uh, when you graduate in the UK or in Europe you're a plastic reconstructive and aesthetic surgeon. There is no training just for cosmetic. You might find them in different places in the world, but otherwise you have a very high skilled surgeon who decide to do part of their activity in the, in the cosmetic field. So anybody that is thinking about pursuing a career in cosmetic surgery, what do they, what do they tend to study at know, university, college? Obviously there's many different qualifications and degrees that you need to go through before you are at your final stage. So what's the first stage? I think being a rounded person is also helpful because uh, surgery is only one part of your activity. Uh, you definitely have a human and a psychological part, and the psychological part is a it's a big part actually of uh, of the of the practice uh, because when you face people, a uh, patient who needs to have a reconstruction, you need to be able to find the right words to assess the situation. Same thing when you face cosmetic uh, expectation of you know, an understanding about human being and uh, the psychology is I think is important mm-hmm. uh, and it, it will link to manager uh, to management of expectation I think this uh, psychological side of the practice it's, it's very important so I think everything like uh, psychological and uh, human being oriented uh, will be welcome probably so is being a great surgeon enough to be successful or how can talented surgeons ensure they become known in order to make a good living? It's like in every in every job, probably. It's like it's a lot of work, definitely. Slowly, slowly, it may take five, six years. Normally, for a plastic surgeon, when you start your activity, it takes at least five years for your name to come out there, and for uh, you know your peers or just the GPs around around you to. To say, oh, I think he's doing a good job. So it takes time, it takes time, and after, yeah, it's work, 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 work. So you mentioned something about GPs. What relationship do surgeons have with GPs? We technically uh, keep uh, GPs informed about uh, what we are doing, what we are planning to do. Uh, I think they are very important because they know the patient also very well. And uh, sometimes we need to uh, protect patient from themselves. So. We see patients in consultation, we write to GPs, uh, that's part of the guidelines. 
and they might have to see also the GPs uh, sometime post-surgery, so that's that's good for GPs to be informed. So GP, GPs are essential uh, because they are full of the, the patient all years around. So uh, I mean, it's, it's definitely a part of, of the practice to, to have a good relationship with, uh, with the GPs. As a surgeon, what is a challenge that you have been faced with and, and how have you overcome it? challenge yeah. you have challenge every day doing surgery is a challenge <laughs> like every single day i mean running a, a private practice is like running a private business is also challenging there is so many aspects you're not just like a surgeon you're a surgeon you're a psychologist you um you can sometimes unfortunately come down to a business that you need to uh, to make it run you know like there's sometimes employees that you need to look after so I mean, life will bring you challenges every day, so you need to keep yourself updated on everything. You need to uh, to have time for yourself. You need to have time for your family. You need to have time for your patient. You need to make that work uh, sleekly, nicely. So challenges. I'm really impressed how you how you can run a business and run a, your practice. I mean, I guess your practice is your business, but it's having the mindset of surgeon and businessman which I think are two really great responsibilities and demanding jobs in themselves so I'm always really impressed when somebody like yourself pulls them both off in such an incredible manner thank you again when when you have the chance to live a life passion I mean that that's true that I work all the time mm-hmm. so I worked like evenings sometimes weekends but I don't feel like too much working sometimes uh, yeah, I mean, I have to say something. It's not like I'm tired also. Yeah. Um, you face challenges, so uh, it takes you a lot of energy for sure. The business I'm involved with are, is very close to to my everyday practice. So what I'm transferring is knowledge and, is, uh, and uh, what I'm learning from one side, I can benefit the other side. So more I do research uh, with labs and uh, and research you more uh, and nurture my practice. So it's a lot of it's it's, it's transferable skills. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not something I, I probably will not be able to do something too different, mm-hmm. and I'll be probably not qualified. Yeah, uh, but they overlap. They're transferable. Yeah, skills, yeah, transferable overlap and having great team. Yeah, that's yeah. the key. I mean, like if you want to succeed, you need a great team, and working with a team is essential. So. COVID-19 affected your business? Cosmetic surgery, if we speak about cosmetic surgery, yeah. has been stopped for almost four months. So uh, we were not able to face patients, to, to do any treatment. They were not able to come to the practice. So it's been very challenging. Uh, now um, we have worked hard uh, to put together measure in place uh, to resume the activity. Uh, it goes from this like plexiglass screen that exists between us today, uh, between testing, uh, screening patient. You know, it's a very, very long list. And uh, there is guidance of uh, the NHS England you can follow. It is. So it slowed down the practice because there's a lot of measure and distanciation and, uh, and precaution we need to take. And uh, the same thing for surgery. We can't do surgery on everyone. We have to respect uh, some BMI, some age group, some eventually some comorbidity, some treatment for for heart uh, conditions. So it definitely have changed. 
you know, to practice. Do you think that people working from home has caused, caused a spike in cosmetic surgery? Because, of course, people are needing to book the time off for downtime. I think, like, maybe what happened during this period is health came back to the center of uh, of life for most, most of us. So, um, yes, you from home, maybe they stop smoking sometimes, start to do a bit of exercise, try to get a better sleep, maybe less stress from work, start thinking about doing things for themselves. So, yeah, for sure, you have still the pressure from the Zoom call and facing yourself. But um, looking at the body surgery, maybe recovering from home is helping. So I have to say, uh, I have to say, we see more patients maybe saying, okay, I work from home, I can recover from home. So, and just because they want to treat themselves also maybe. Yeah. I think like this, uh, this period is creating a lot of anxiety around the future and thinking about themselves, having a better lifestyle. It's part of some new trends. People being at home hasn't like stopped them from wanting to look better just because they're not going out. The society uh, didn't stop, right? So no. if you look at social media or everything online, I think society is just society is just continue and and people wants to look good and at least they think about when everything will be finished because one day um, I don't know when it might be around this virus for a little while, but uh, they dream about like all of us coming back to uh, to normality where we can gather with friends, having dinners, going to restaurants, uh, see um, movies. Yeah. So. Yeah, just interacting with people. Exactly. The way we were. People want to feel good and that comes with looking good, I think. So do you think the aesthetic procedures that your patients choose to have affect their well-being? When you help to improve a silhouette or, you know, neck or jawline definition you know suddenly a patient described that they feel more confident so being more confident helped them to feel better in their private life sometimes better with their business life and I think um, this is linked to well-being so they feel to just feel just feel better and I think if if surgery can help you to feel better that's making my day yeah as a cosmetic surgeon would you say you have a high pressure job how do you handle the pressure? Well, I think every surgeon has a high pressure job. We have like, a, uh, it's not life threatening uh, situation, but um, we put patient under sedation or local. We are, I mean, most of the time, we are cutting patient. We are dealing with vessels. There. So yeah, this, there's definitely like, but again, with the training is like, like a pilot, right? Uh, I think everything in life with training, you reduce the stress, you reduce the pressure. Because more more you are trained, more you are updated, more you do the type of procedures that you are doing, uh, this makes you feeling more confident and uh, and comfortable with, uh, with with what you do. So I think surgery is still like a risk management kind of uh, work. But again, training work, training work getting the right assessment of patient, putting the right indication, managing the expectation, uh, making sure that your, your, your practice is organized. I think it's all about organization and, and work again. Like having confidence in yourself, but you know, having that confidence in yourself because you'll know, you know that you're running your business 
to the best possible standard that anybody can. Well, I mean, without putting too much pressure on yourself, <laughs> but uh, I think it's, it's like everywhere. Right? Um, if you if you are organized and if you um, and if you try to raise the bar all the time and uh, be professional, that should reduce the pressure. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So, do you think that you have a healthy work-life balance? I do the best I can. Yeah. I like. Uh, I probably would love to do more sports, but I was COVID is a bit complicated, but maybe it's an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's finding the right balance between uh, having enough sleep when you have big days, try to be healthy as possible, and uh, try to find a, a personal balance, a family life. I think this, the whole thing make you... Uh, make you stronger to face challenges. Yeah, I think when you when you have like family and friends around you, working so hard isn't isn't too bad. Like as as we were talking about before, if you're passionate about your job and you have family around you and friends that support you, it kind of keeps you going, keeps you motivated. Yeah, and you need to still uh, definitely thanks your family for their support and be there for them because yeah, when you're passionate, as you, you work hard, long hours, so you might not see them as much. Or try to make sure between the week and the weekend that the balance still uh, still right. So you mentioned that you like to play sports and like to have family time. What other self-care activities do you like to do? If you were to have your day off and do nothing but to, you know, just enjoy yourself, what, what would that be? Oh, it can be so many things. I think it's a mix of having time for you to reflect is important. Kind of like a gentle meditation. I think like uh, it's helping. Try to recenter yourself, attach your value to your um, to your education. Maybe yeah. So I think like not losing yourself when you work hard is important. Making sure that you have the the right uh, mind and you know what is important. So. Yeah, family value, friends, work, making sure you can separate the thing and work. So if if I have a day off, yeah, probably a bit of sports, a bit of meditation, a bit of time off, just on my own. And I probably if COVID allowed, <laughs> meeting friends, having a nice dinner. I mean, you've, uh, you mentioned meditation a couple of times. Do you find it quite difficult to? switch off like being so active all the time and speaking to people like could of course a big part of your job is speaking to people and dealing with staff and you know just being on the go all the time or you just very I think I think like I try to have like a few minutes or 15 uh, every day 15-20 minutes on my own just like to to try to uh, try again to uh, make peace with myself And to recenter myself, so. Uh, so you've made it into a habit. Yeah, it's just trying like that is transition cool off period. You need like uh, the transition from home to work and work from home. If you can have a bit of time for yourself, it's important. Yeah, of course. Silence. I mean, working all the time isn't sustainable. No, absolutely no. not. Well, I'm going to let you go because um, it's the end of the day. Mr. Amar has been working all day, so I'm not going to keep him to myself any longer. But thank you so much for coming on to hashtag No Filter. Um, you've been an incredible guest. Thank you. Thank so you, how you very much. How can people book a consultation with you and connect with you on social media? I would invite them to go on a website, so it's uh, oliviermar.co.uk and uh, they can find us on different social media platforms from uh, Instagram, what I think is Dr. Olivier Amar, 
We have a Twitter, we have a uh, Facebook. We try to tend to share uh, knowledge. Uh, and yeah, and we'll be happy to see you. Um, so I'll see you soon. Thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Hashtag No Filter. Need, 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 need.